Good morning. It is a joy for me to be here with you. I feel like, I, I feel like we know each other. We had a, an event in 2016 in Puerto Rico called Encuentro, and I know there was a team from this church that participated. Close to, um, close to a thousand young people from across the United States visited us in our churches and impacted our churches from here from the States during two weeks. So it was a joy to see you there. We also had a working witness team come to Hayuya out in the country um, from this church that were there. And the pastor and the church sent you their greetings. I told them that I was going to be with you. And so, and Dan and I have crossed paths. Well, it's been a while now. We're not that old, but it's been a while. And so um, um, it is, I think we already are connected some ways. I praise the Lord for the privilege of being here, and I want us to listen again to God's word. I have had the privilege of serving the church in, in different capacities, but it has been a joy. One of the greatest blessings that we receive as Christians is to be part of the family of God, be part of the church, participate in the ministry, and get to know many brothers and sisters around the world that God is using in mighty and powerful ways. And so we thank the Lord for that. We're part of a worldwide church that, is, that from the beginning was a missionary church and continues to reach out to all nations of the world. But the mission begins at home. And that's what, a little bit of what we're going to be talking about this morning. My wife, Blanca, sent you her greetings. She was not able to accompany me. She was not able to be with us. She's a little bit under the weather, and she's coming around. She's doing okay, but um, and besides, she doesn't like the cold weather a lot. <laughs> I grew up in New York City. I hope that's not bad for the Boston area, <laughs> for the New England area. And I grew up in the church, in the Spanish-speaking church in New York. I grew up. As a little boy, going through Sunday school, being part of the youth ministry, and I studied at UConn. I began my studies at UConn, but then I went back to Puerto Rico, and God changed the direction of my life. For good, of course, because when God does that, it's for good, um, for, for, the, for the benefit of his work and for the benefit of we, we ourselves. I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles or or find your Bible in the form that you have it, in John chapter 17. We're going to be looking briefly at part of Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross, perceiving the future of his movement, which is the church. And this is a prayer. This is him opening up his heart to the Father, in behalf, mostly, of his disciples, then and now today. And so we read from chapter 17, we begin reading in uh, verse 15. And it says in the following manner, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself 
that they too may be truly sanctified. And we, I want to focus on verse 18. As you send them, as you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for your power, for the blessing of coming together in this Lord's day. We, we recognize you as the risen Lord this morning, as we do every Sunday. But we have come to hear your voice. We have praised you, but we want to hear your voice. We want you to challenge us anew to be the people that you want us to be. Thank you for our brothers and sisters here, for the pastor, for the church, for the leaders, for everything that you have done to this day. And we ask that you may continue working your purpose through the life of this congregation that you have called many years back and is still interested in helping them to fulfill your mission in this world. Be with us, continue with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. John, the gospel writer, portrays Jesus throughout the gospel as the one that is sent. And really, it is in the lips of Jesus that we read this in this, chat, in this uh, gospel. If you read the gospel, you understand from the very beginning that Christ considers himself as one that has been sent by the Father from above, and many other ways I have been sent to do the will of my Father. And in many ways, as you read through this gospel, that is the overriding message that we receive. And, and the word sent that we have here and in other parts of this gospel is really the, the core meaning of what, what an apostle is. Today we have a lot of things going on about apostles, but it is somebody that has been sent, somebody that has been sent forward, and that is the idea. It denotes to be sent to serve and also to be sent on a mission, to be sent or commissioned to do something from someone else that is greater than us, greater than you. Jesus was sent by the Father with a mission. And it's very important that we understand the full mission of Jesus. Although his mission culminated on the cross and resurrection, it encloses all he did on earth, his incarnation, him becoming like us in human form, his ministry, his teachings, his miracles, and the training of the 12. All of that is part of his mission. I have been in places where people talk about Christ's mission as if he came here and really he only came to die and resurrect and the rest was just filled in. It's not that important. The important thing is that he died and rose. Yes, that's important. But everything that he did, his incarnation, his miracle, his ministry, the training of the 12 was part of his mission. Everything. The, in in, um, in Eugene Peterson's message, the, the, the version of Scripture, he says, he, he paraphrases this verse saying, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I have given them a mission in the world. Sent and mission then go together. They're intimately intertwined. You cannot fulfill the mission if you have not understood that you have been sent. It goes together. It is united. You cannot separate it. Separate them. We are sent. But we are not just sent personally or individually. 
We are sent together. These words were spoken initially to a group of people, to a group of disciples, to his disciples. He was not talking individually to them. He was talking to them as a group, as a body. We have not just been sent individually. We have been sent together. Amen? We have been sent as a church, as a body of Christ in the world. We have been sent together. Amen? Amen. So we cannot, we have, we have tended as, as Protestants and Nazarenes to individualize salvation and everything so much that we have lost the corporate focus, which is the main focus in Scripture. We have been sent together. Praise the Lord for that. We have not been sent in our own missions individually. We have been sent together. And this is the heart of this prayer for his disciples. That they be sent in Christ's name into the world. And that is when, and that's what brings everything else of this prayer together. That's why he prays here. We did not read it, but it's there. He, 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 that is why he intercedes for their protection, that they may remain in the world because they're going to be sent by him. That, that is why he is praying for their joy because they're going to be sent by him. That is why they, they need to be sanctified or purified. This is why Jesus sacrificed himself and sanctified himself so that he can send them. This is why he, he prays about the unity that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved them. The fact that Christ has sending, is praying for them to be sent is the core message or the core uh, petition of this prayer. And all of the rest comes together and is connected with the fact that he wants to send them. He does not just want them to have joy just to have joy and be happy and glad like you do when basketball teams win and, uh, and Super Bowl persons that you, teams that you back up. The New England Patriots won the Super Bowl, right? I am not going to say praise the Lord for that, but we are happy. We, we have joy when different things happen, but this joy is related to the sending. And everything else, that's the core message. That's the core message of the prayer. Now, I just want to reflect briefly on that verse together. The sending, in first place, reflects the divine initiative and is incarnational. The sending begins from God, not from us. The church comes later. We come later. It begins from above. That's why it says, just as you sent me, Jesus praying to the Father. The verse 18 begins, just as you sent me. Jesus did not come in his own behalf or to carry out a personal project. He was sent by the Father, and he responded in joyous obedience and submission to carry out a mission with the authority from above. 
Jesus himself did not come in a personal matter. He didn't say, I want to go down there. I want, I want to, no, no. He was sent by his father. And he submitted to that sending of his father. He was sent from glory to earth, from a heavenly culture to, a human, to the human predicament of a first century Jew. He, he, said, he, said, he seized the call. He was stepping down to us so that we can step up to him. And the sending is incarnational. Jesus, that sending implied or was fulfilled through Jesus coming and assuming few, fully our humanity. He paid, became one of us. He was not sent. Just like a message, when Christ wanted to, re, when God wanted to redeem the world, he did not throw a theology book down from heaven or any other literature. He sent his son, and he did not come as a, as a, as a spirit or as, a, as something else. He came in human form. His sending was incarnational. He became like one of us so we can become like him. He became like us. So he, he, he assumed our, our form. And this morning in, a, in the excellent um, Sunday school class, uh, we, 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 our, our teacher was sharing with us and we were talking about Philippians chapter 2. Descending. That is descending. It is him coming down to us. In three stages, becoming a human being, becoming a servant, and going to the cross. He came as low as he can come so we can go as high as he wants us to go. And then he is exalted. He will, always, he will be exalted over all creation. He came like one of us. John Stott, a British pastor, scholar, once wrote, he, uh, uh, talking to, uh, related to what we're talking about, he said, Jesus did not touch down like a visitor from another planet or arrive like an alien, bringing his own alien culture with him. No, he took to himself our humanity, our flesh and blood. He actually became one of us and experienced our fragilities, our suffering and our temptations, he even bore our sins and died our death. Jesus was sent by the Father. And, uh, and there's a lot more we can talk about, but we don't have a lot of time. It was divinely orchestrated, and it included the incarnation. I cringe at Christmas time when we talk about Christ's birthday. Christ did not begin to exist in Christmas. What we're celebrating Christmas is his incarnation. That he became like one of us. And, and then we see in this passage. And so we are sent also, brothers and sisters, to incarnate, to embody in human form the gospel. Really, the gospel is not a message. The gospel is a person. Jesus. And our task is to make, through our personality and through the transforming grace that is operating in us, to make the gospel seen 
in a human specific person. That's what, it, that's what the first Christian, that's what impacted most of the first Christians. It was not their message. It was their lifestyle. It was how they lived the gospel in the midst of all their situations and persecution and limitations and difficulties. Not having all of the things that we have today. I say limitations in quotes. Incarnate the message. I want to see the gospel Christ wants us to show the gospel with our face, with our hands, with our body, with the way we live, with the way that we relate, the way we make the gospel a person, the person of Christ through our persons and together. And it's also important to realize who is sending. He says, he told them, I am sending you. It is surprising, but true. That Jesus first sent the group of disciples that had failed him, but they were trained by him and awakened and energized through the resurrection. I would not have sent those people, but Jesus saw beyond their present reality and resurrection made a big impact, a difference in their lives and their perspective. And he comes around and sends them. That is why he was preparing them. He was not preparing them just that they would have Bible knowledge and they have the right doctrine and they can face um, different trains of thought. He was preparing them because his, his purpose from the beginning was to send them. And so we, he, he is sending us uh, surprisingly. And sometimes I wonder why would Christ send somebody like me with so many limitations and so many fra- fragilities and I still need to continue growing and developing. Why would God do that? Well, that's part of his nature. That's the way he is. That's the way he functions. That's the way he works. He makes the weak his vessels. But we are his children. We are in his hands. He he calls them. And he sent the 11 that met with him in the Mount of Galilee as he had ordered in representation of all his disciples. Jesus does not send a handful or selected group of his disciples with certain capacities and charismas or gifts. This passage underscores the fact that he is sending all of his disciples, all of those that have decided to follow Jesus, those in that moment where, where he was speaking to them directly, and all of those would be his disciples through their ministry. We see that in his prayer in verse 20. We are being sent too. Amen? You're not too happy about that. You have been sent. Each one of us has been sent. And we are being sent together. Nobody's left out. God does not only send. For many years, we thought God would only send pastors, missionaries, evangelists, people that have that type of ministry. And what what will he do with the rest of the church? Well, they would just support them. As if he could not use anybody else. But that's not what we read here. He sent all of his disciples. We have been saved to be sent. We have not been saved just to buy a ticket to heaven. And whatever happens in between is not important. 
we know we're going to heaven. But we have to bring down heaven as we live out our life here. Heaven is the end. But that is not what, we, what happens. Christ calls us to, for now, for our reality. That's what he did with his disciples. But besides the fact that we do, and we do not deserve to be sent, it is, a, it is an act of grace of God that he will want to send us. But he does. He does not send us because we deserve it. He does not send us because we have all the capabilities and all the experience and all the know-how. No, 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 no. We learned that on the way. He sends us by grace. It is a gift of grace, the sending of us as his church. And when we realize, we say, I will go. You have to help me down the road. The church is going to help us, but we have to respond to that sending. It is not automatic. It's not imposed. But it's part of what Christ wants us to be today and towards the future. He's sending us by grace, by grace. He calls us to different ministries in the church by his grace. We don't deserve it, but what a blessing and what a privilege, what an honor it is to respond and be part of what God wants to do where we live and around the world. What a blessing. There's no other better way to live. We also in Sunday school, it's a great lesson, living for others. To live in Christ is to live for others. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in and through me. That is what God wants us to do. That is not the goal for when we die. That is the goal as we live out our Christian walk today in the middle of the turmoil and the situation that surrounds us. But not only is it important that we realize that we have been sent by, by uh, not only that we have been sent by grace, that we all have been sent. We have to also underscore what is underscored in this passage is who is sending us. We're not sent by another human being like us or anyone else. We're not sent by someone that has not gone before. We are not sent in the first instance by the church or any other leader or any commission or committee. That is important. That has its place. But we have not been sent by them in the first place. We have been sent by Christ himself who who directly calls us. Christ is the one that is sending you and I and us together. Christ, the head, Lord, and Savior of the church that died for the church because he loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ is calling us. He's sending us. He that lived and put his tent among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father who was resurrected and has all power in heaven and on earth. We have been sent by him. Amen. Jesus himself is sending us, has sent us. He did not send, he did not delegate it to somebody else. He himself. That's what he told his disciples. Yet we struggle with descending. We have, uh, we make up reasons not to respond or to believe that he calls everybody except me. No, he has sent, Christ has sent us all. And where has he sent us to? It says in the passage, as the Father has sent me, I send you into the world. 
And at the end it says, I also send them into the world. We are sent to the world. We are sent to here, to the world. We're, we're sent to Manchester, Connecticut, and wherever we live. We're sent to the world. We're sent to the world where Jesus was sent. By far not a utopia or an ideal setting. We are sent to the real world. A world in its present condition. A world of the mundane, the everyday life, complicated at times. We are sent to a world of diverse diverse culturally, with different mindsets that coexist. We are sent to a changing world that is a moving target as we try to live in these times. We, we are sent to a world in turmoil, in crisis and chaos, needing God's love. We are sent to the world that is constantly trying to make us fit into its mold, that we accommodate to its values and lifestyle. We are also sent to the world of the church, of the organized church. I, I call it the labyrinth of the church, but the different ways that we try to organize and do things. Yes, we are called, and we are called, as the Great Commission reminds us, to all nations, to all ethnias of the world. And we are called to God's world. This world is not in the hands of Satan, although he is active. This is God's world. And this is the world that he has come to save. And God is active today in our world and wants to continue impacting the world through those that he has sent through the church. In Puerto Rico, our problem related to the church is not the non-Christians. Our problem is the church that is complacent that is inward looking, that are comfortable. We do like comfortable places. That's not bad, but that should not keep us from going out. We need to change and go back to the biblical model that we have been sent outside of the building to be the body spread in midst of the world, to be solved and light wherever we live. The church scattered, the church united, unites to be scattered and as we scatter, we impact the realities in which each one of us live because we have been sent, not by the pastor, not by the Church of the Nazarene. I love the Church of the Nazarene, that is my church. And our brothers from other denominations, they're our brothers. We have been sent by Christ to this world. There are a lot of good things happening in our world. There are a lot of bad things happening in our world. But what the world needs today is Christ in Christians. Because Christ does not come by himself. Christ has to wrap himself in somebody's life. Because it is incarnational. But then in this passage, we also find a style. As the Father has sent me, this is a style. I am sending you. And we need to understand what that style encompasses. And there's just three things, and we're finishing, that we need to underscore. 
as we already have mentioned, maybe indirectly, this sending is a chain of sendings. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends his disciples. And we could add today, the church sends those that are called. And it continues. We're focusing in on the need of the continuity of the mission. Somebody has written, if the church decides today not to spread the gospel any longer, and all the church around the whole world decides that fatal decision, the gospel stops. We're only one generation away of extinction as a church if the church does not focus on its sending mission. It needs to continue. It needs to continue after we're no longer here ourselves. And that's why we train and develop leaders and disciples to work with us. And after we're not here, they continue and do that with the next generation. It is from generation to generation. The gospel must continue until Christ comes for the church. As the Father has sent me. In that chain of sendings, it also implies urgency. Urgency. Jesus would not say, look, when you have time, when you have nothing else to do, after you raise your children and you're with your grandchildren, then go. No. He was telling them, I need you to go yesterday. I need you to go now. Urgency. We have lost the sense of urgency in the church. Since Christ has not come, it's been more than 2,000 years, we can wait. But it was urgent. We need to act immediately and continually, centering on our mission and use our time and resources in his local, in his local global cause. That it is urgent. It's really a life or death issue. For us, it is urgent. We cannot stop. The first Christians understood that. They started to, they did not have all the capabilities, again. But when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they left that upper room and they started to share what they had received. Why do you want to receive more Bible knowledge? Why do you want to be more spiritual? Why do you want to receive, be more um, closer to God? So that God can use us. It is not for us. We're not deposits of God's grace. We are conduits of his grace. It comes to us. It transforms our lives. And as we share it, it spreads out to many, many other lives. So it's urgent. And finally, that lifestyle includes a focused sending. God does not call us just to be present in the world, but to impact our world. That's why the call, the sending is connected with the commission of making disciples. We have been sent as disciples to make disciples of all nations. We have not been sent just to do church. And that's not bad. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about good things that get coming sometimes in the way of better things. Great that we do that. We're not here to church people, to put people from the bar to a church building or wherever they are. We're here to make Christ-like disciples. Disciples. That's, that's a lot of work. That's tough work. 
that's sometimes frustrating work. We are sent to make, with the help of the Holy Spirit, holy, loving, kingdom-servant disciples that multiplies themselves to reach all the corners of the world. Are we multiplying ourselves? Are we true disciples of Jesus? Are we interested that others, through us, may know him and grow and develop and come with us as we are sent together? Our situation in Puerto Rico is a lot like many churches in the United States. We are starting to wake up to the fact. I'm not talking about this congregation. I'm talking about Puerto Rico. We have, have to wake up to the fact that everything that we have done is good, but we need to refocus in our mission. And we need to connect intentionally everything that we do in church to descending as to make disciples. It has not been easy. There has been resistance in the church. There has been a lot of things, but God is helping us to get back on track, to use our limited efforts and our limited resources to focus on the most important thing, what God has called us to do, to make disciples. That's what Jesus did. That's what he told his disciples. The Great Commission command, commanded his disciples then and now while you are going. The, the, the mission is not to go. The mission is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to assure you, I will be I will go before you. I have been there before you too. I will be with you to uttermost parts of the world. Because all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So I am sending you. Has this commission has actually really taken place sometime? Of course. And it's interesting to note in John 20, 21, we see the shift from a prayer to the commissioning of his disciples with almost the exact same words. When Jesus appeared after he resurrected, it was a Sunday morning. He comes, appears upon his disciples, and he tells them these very same words. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you to the world. Then he ascends. And he asks them to wait in the upper room for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He sent them. The church, yes, has lived out this mission many times in its history, and many churches are doing it today. But let's listen in on a letter to Diagnetus a third century Christian, as he describes the life of the Christians in the third century. I just want to read briefly. He said, Christians then, many years in the beginning, the third century, Jesus, the Christians are indistinguishable 
from other men either by nationality, language, or custom. They do not inhibit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine with regards to dress, food, and manner of life in general. They follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. And yet, there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full roles as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose themselves. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them, condemned because they are not understood. They are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors. But even then, they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. They are attacked by the Jews and, or as aliens. They are persecuted by Greeks, yet no one can explain the reason for the, this hatred. To speak in general terms, we may say that the Christians in, it's, is to the world what the soul is to the body. As the soul is present in every part of the body while remaining distinct from it. So Christians are found in all the cities of the world but cannot, identify, cannot be identified with the world. The world hates the Christians but because they have done it, not because they have done any wrong, but because they are opposed to its enjoyments. Christians love those who hate them, just as the soul loves the body and all its members despise the body's hatred. It is by the soul enclosed within the body that the body is held together. And similarly, it is by the Christians detained in the world as a, pris as a prison that the world is held together. Wow. But we say that's them. That's the third century. We don't live where they live. We're in the 21st century, the United States. And you think their setting was easier? More comfortable than ours? I doubt it. Hurricane Maria, with all its flurry and massive and extensive damage and lasting effects on our island, 
has helped us to see and experience ascending church in action. Your prayers and concern for us here in the States and around the world. A church that has been sent. Your giving. We received many, many gifts to help others in the midst of our disaster and, and tri- times, difficult trying times. Uh, Nazarene Compassion Ministry responded immediately. We got word from them as soon as we had a little bit of communication. They started sending what you have, the gifts that you have provided. And we started, our people, our church came together. We, we forgot about us. Everybody was affected. Everybody in the churches, the church, many churches. But we started forgetting about ourselves. We started thinking about others. And we became distributing centers of what we had received. And what we had, we gave. Those are key marks of ascending church. We have been sent. In midst of all of those things that happen in this world. Thank you. These are, but the, the, the question that we have before us this morning is what will be our response to his sending? Are we going to stay the way we are, comfortable? Yeah, that's nice. That sounds good. That's biblical. But are we going to respond? Are we going to let God change the way we see in the way we do our lives and our ministry as a church. He is sending you. It's important that we give financially. We need money to help and to provide for our missionaries and other things that we do as a church worldwide. That's important. But if you do that and you are not being sent, you have a limited impact. As we give for faith promise and do that generously and see that others go in his name. And there are problems in the mission field too. I mean, we cannot uh, believe that they don't have no issues, that we have issues that we're working with. We also need to be sent right here. Christ sends us right here where we live. He is waiting for our response. I hope that our spiritual life, which we will be talking about these next few days, can be connected to the mission that he is calling us to continue fulfilling or to enhancing and to being aware that Christ is sending us to our world and to the uttermost parts of this globe. Heavenly Father, here we are before you. Thank you for speaking through your word. Help us to understand what you want from us. Hear hear your people that love you, that have been faithful, that have done the best that they know how and can to carry out this mission. But you want to continue helping us in reaffirming and maybe refocusing some things so that we, as you were sent by the Father, 
we can feel that sending from you as a congregation. And we can seek ways to come together to go out in your name. Help us. Thank you for all that you have done to this point. But we anticipate what you want to do in the future. We put ourselves in your hands. And we pray in Christ's name.